We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to the March 29th edition of the Burler NFL Podcast brought to you by Underdog. I'm Joe Bart. Alongside me, as always, at least every Wednesday, is Jim Coventry. We're continuing on with our division previews at the time now essentially recaps with it feels like the offseason already done uh talking the nfc west with you a, a less interesting division i would say of sorts certainly with the rams and cardinals and their direction which i'm sure uh jim will have plenty of thoughts on and of course our 49ers and seahawks as well to the geo smith uh resigning what the 49ers are the quarterback all that and more we'll discuss uh let's hit the break here Again, welcome to the March 29th edition of the RotoWire NFL podcast brought to you by Underdog. Uh, every Wednesday we get the show going. We're talking division uh, offseason to date, and I think it's the NFC West we're really diving into. I said hit the break, really wanted to get into the podcast itself with Jim here. Jim, how are you doing today? Oh, extremely well. We're in a little bit of a lull period. Like you said, free agency is kind of over. A couple small pieces to go, maybe some trades. But we're, hey, we're nonstop. We're getting ready, talking about these teams. NFL draft to be here soon enough. We're going to have some fun. Yeah, I think the NFC West is also in a lull because two of the four teams don't have their first-round picks, 49ers and Rams. Uh, one of the teams just didn't want to do anything in free agency at all except watch all their players leave, Rams. Uh, and a few have made curious choices, Cardinals, Seahawks, 49ers. We'll talk about all those. Uh, let's start with our division winner and what many believe to be the front runner for the NFC Championship, or at least making it to the Super Bowl from the NFC side, which was the uh, 49ers, of course. They lost in the uh, semifinals, essentially, to the Eagles. Brock Purdy gets injured, and everything else goes to chaos from there. I don't know, Jim, if we ever really talk about this post that game. I never felt like the Eagles were, were that uh, unrealistic to lose. I think a lot of people were like eh, – riding this Brock Purdy train and excited, excited to see what would happen and see what he get to the Super Bowl. And therefore they're projecting the 49ers to beat the Eagles. I never really felt like that was the case. So I always had my 49er friends say, oh, if Brock Purdy was healthy, I'm like, no, it, it wouldn't have made a difference. Do you feel like the 49ers were a QB away from getting to the Super Bowl? I had that game between the 49ers and the Eagles. Obviously, we didn't know the injuries would happen. I said if they played 10 times, each won five. I hmm. really felt that the 49ers had the pieces to attack the Eagles' weaknesses. The Eagles would struggle against the run. You could get their linebackers in conflict. And who better to get linebackers in conflict than Kyle Shanahan running Debo over the middle, running arrow routes to Christian McCaffrey, even moving Ayuk to the slot. And George Kittle, of course, could you know, compromise the safeties. So that was where you could attack them. But without a quarterback, you couldn't attack them. So I really thought that they had – it was a perfect setup for the 49ers offense to be facing that team. The outside corners would have been basically neutered because they would have had nothing to do. They would have been standing there on an island because they'll move Ayuk around. And the great pass rush, well, Shanahan's getting the ball out pretty quickly. Now, Purdy was holding it at times, but they would have really had that game plan dialed up to have dealt with that. And defensively, obviously their defense did play well, but at some point when you're on the field for 40 minutes, 45, Mm -hmm. whatever it was, it wasn't going to work out. So I I did think it was going to be a game, and I was excited. Either team could have won. I certainly didn't say the Eagles had it or the 49ers had it, but I did see it as a contest. 
Yeah, I mean, uh, the 49ers were one of the best teams in the NFC all of last season, and they probably will be again this year. I mean, we've talked about a lot of these NFC teams. We still have the East to come, which, of course, uh, well, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, we have the East to come in, too. Uh, but, well, I mean, there's there's lesser talent, it feels like, especially with the Aaron Rodgers departure, not that the Packers were doing much anyway uh, last year, which we talked about in the last podcast as well, too. But I think the 49ers are one of the clear front runners in a conference overall that is not going to be expected to, to produce a lot of talented people or teams or whatever else was saying uh while the 49ers lost a lot of talent and they and they really did i mean this is the list of names i was surprised with how many part of it was the Danico ryan's head coaching hire by the texans they of course got a few people so uh jimmy ward and uh hassan ridgeway both went to the texans they lost mike glitch to the bears talked about the last week jimmy garoppolo of course your starting quarterback for the raiders emmanuel mosley went to the, the lions uh samson abicom uh, if they're uh, substitution pass rusher got a big deal from the Colts and a lot of curious moves. The Colts have made this offseason. Jordan Willis, the same thing. Charles Omenu, uh, another, all these rotational pass rushers from the 49ers ended up getting pretty big deals elsewhere. Robbie Gold likely gone as well, too, for the 49ers. They did bring back Jake Brendel, their center, uh, Ty McGill, another one of the, the, the rotational pass rushers. And then Tayshawn Gibson, who might be their starting safety now with Jimmy Ward gone. Uh, big offseason addition, really surprising. First day of free agency was Javon Hargrave, of course, of the Eagles, joining uh, the, the 49ers into that now illustriously high-paid pass rush. And it's like they have tripled down on their stance of, no, you know, I don't really care if our corners are that good or not. We're going to have an extremely good pass rush, really adopting the mold of the Eagles, which uh, was great, except the Eagles also had James Bradbury and Darius Slay. So it, it'll be really interesting philosophy if this defense can continue to be ferocious in the front seven. And when you've got like Fred Warner is able to dictate things defensively too, as a linebacker, it eases a lot of the concern the secondary have. But I would have thought losing Jimmy Ward, your priority would be accumulating secondary players. And yet that has not been the direction the 49ers have went at all this offseason. There was an under-the-radar signing that nobody's talking about. Isaiah Oliver played yeah. very okay. well at corner last year. And if he can – now, the cornerback play, when you're not an elite player, it could be very year-to-year. We see player performances jump wildly. But if Oliver can even maintain the level he played at last year, him and Charvarius Ward would make a nice pairing. And D'Amador Lenoir, over the, all the course of the season, he was not good, but we saw games and flashes where he really showed some ability to be able to come. Not a shutdown corner, but a guy that if you give him help, he definitely could be in a good spot. So I do think the secondary may be a bit underrated. Even Samuel Womack, in when mm-hmm. he played, which was limited, his coverage did look above average. So they do have some pieces in place. And I do think this defense is primed to continue to play very well. Now, remember, even though they do bring in Javon Hargrave and he's an interior lineman, that means Eric Armstead or Javon Kinlaw will be in a rotation with them. I don't think any one of them gets iced out. Hargrave was always best in a rotation. But what Armstead and Kinlaw do, they don't particularly look good in run defense but what they do is they take up space and they allow those great linebackers Fred Warner and Dre Greenlaw to roam and attack that is the linchpin so that is the thing that doesn't get talked about a lot with Armstead and Kinlaw but as you mentioned we have Nick Bosa and then Hargrave getting in there for some pass rushing chops so yeah this defense still has what they need to be a highly successful unit. Yeah, I think in years past, we've seen the slot corner in the offseason particularly get de-emphasized, at least you know, financially. Teams aren't willing to invest a whole lot in the slot corner. I thought this offseason overall, we were wondering where is the money going to get pinched from? Not many teams have money. Where is it going to get pinched from? Receivers, yeah, a little bit. I mean, $11 million for Lazard, $11 million for uh, Juice Smith-Schuster and Jacoby Myers. That isn't the upper echelon we've seen in the past years, but makes sense with the market. It was the cornerbacks that I thought, you know, every, especially in the passing league, you'd think there'd be more cornerbacks getting paid higher tier money. But it was Jamel Dean's uh, re-signing with the Buccaneers that really set this thing in motion where less uh, good players are going for less money. And I think that's how Isaiah Oliver, who, like you mentioned, is a good corner, certainly undersized. I think that'd be the one concern you'd say is a 5'8 guy like 
what can yes. you really do? But when you have a pass rush like the Pointers do, and really just, again, a front seven overall, you can massage a lot of different issues that you might have in the secondary when there are complications that are providing near continuous issues for an offensive line and a quarterback like the 49ers will. And I, I thought it was a really interesting uh, commitment to that by signing Hargrave to that big deal. And what you've seen, you mentioned with the rotational part, they lost multiple rotational pieces and said, you know what, F it, we're just going to go ahead and get a really, really, really good guy <laughs> with uh, what would have been four or five of those other guys. And I, I'll, I'll be curious to see if it ends up working out for them. We've spent so much time talking about the 49ers defense, which I think is going to be the key part if they're successful uh, this this regular season in the postseason. But from a fantasy perspective, it's all about the offense. So there is a lot of question marks with the 49ers offense. And I think case in point is going to be the quarterback. So we had the Brock Purdy timeline right now. And I think we're going to have to have, just like how people chart the flights of uh, of everyone right now in today's day and age of social media being really, really stupid. Uh, I feel like we're going to have the Brock Purdy timeline on what is uh, not Tommy John, but definitely Tommy John elbow is going to look like. So earlier this offseason, right around the January, February mark, right after the game, it was no, 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 Brock Purdy. He's definitely going to be ready for the start of the regular season. Just you wait. And then we do this a month later, like, well, he still hasn't had surgery, but I promise he'll be ready. Uh, and then we do that like a month later. And it's like, uh, well, he still hasn't had the surgery, but I think he will. So now we have the point where the 49ers are saying it's possible Brock Purdy could be eligible to start the season. Uh, the Tommy John surgery has varied from, yes, it's definitely Tommy John, like the baseball one, which uh, basically kills pitchers what it feels like, or no, it's not anywhere near that same thing when it comes to quarterbacks. So we're going to have to have a fueling out process with Brock Purdy. And the funny part is, does it even matter? Like if, if you ask Kyle Shanahan right now, if every quarterback is healthy and like completely healthy, who would you rather have under center? I really believe, and maybe I'm naive, Jim, but I really believe he's going to pick the guy that he traded three first round picks for in Trey Lance. So when they acquired in the draft Trey Lance and traded up to get him, what Kyle Shanahan, I believe, saw was he already knows. He can scheme players open. He can make any decent quarterback very successful, especially with the weapons they have. At the time, it was just George Kittle, Debo Samuel, and Brandon Ayuk. Obviously, we have McCaffrey in the mix now. But the deal with Trey Lance, the mobility that puts a ceiling on the offense that Kyle Shanahan must dream about because that changes the whole face. When you have it, I talk about this all the time, the mobile quarterback challenges linebackers. When he gets on the move, it freezes them. You cannot afford to freeze as a linebacker with the weapons that Shanahan has. Lance would bring that to the arsenal. That is where the upside is. He wouldn't have to be a phenomenal passer. Jimmy Garoppolo, who is all over the place, in my opinion, with his throws frequently, he was successful in that offense. But the running element is what would make Trey Lance very special. He can throw the deep ball. We, he definitely can do that. And that one gets schemed open. I always say this. Go back to 2012. The one time that Shannon had a mobile quarterback, it was RG3, Robert Griffin III. And in that season with Washington, he did have Pierre Garçon, but he had a lot of guys that didn't last in the NFL very long. They were running wide open downfield, and Robert Griffin was basically throwing to one person with no defender on him. That's the offense he schemes up, and defenses have never figured that out. So Lance does give him the greatest ceiling. Yeah, the only issue, my concern is uh, Kyle Shanahan could certainly use it. And I think it weaponizes his offense in a different way that we haven't seen much before. We mentioned 2012 being the, the one example. I'm not comfortable saying Kyle Shanahan knows how to keep a quarterback healthy, though. So, like, there's there's this juxtaposition that if you are saying, yes, Kyle Shanahan's offense looks better when it has a uh, mobile quarterback, that can also be true, but we can also say he can't keep a guy healthy because he keeps running these uh, jet wide uh, runs of this QB or runs right up the middle, and that's how Trey Lance ended up getting hurt, uh, obviously, early on in the season. I know some of these things can be fluky, but when your uh, head coach and offensive coordinator is acting as if the quarterback can also be a running back, we've seen that with Cam Newton, we've seen that with other quarterbacks in the past. My concern also might be with Justin Fields being operated that same way we talked about last week. I, I think that's where, okay, fine. If Trey Lance is your starter week one, and I agree that I think he wants that to be, Kyle Shannon wants it to be the case uh, entering August. If Brock Purdy does take X amount of time more, they said at most week four, which I think is such an arbitrary figure, and it's been arbitrary since day one, so I don't really care what the Niners say. But let's just say at most uh, Purdy is uh, out till week four, fine. I mean, that might be as much as Kyle Shannon gets out of Trey Lance 
way we've seen them operate in past weeks. Do you feel like the 49ers offense can use a mobile quarterback but not risk the health of Trey Lance, or is that just a natural byproduct of what Kyle Shanahan's offense would do in this scenario? It happened with RG3. I mean, the good news is Trey Lance is at least 224 pounds. He's not a tiny mm-hmm. guy, which that, that helps a little bit. And I do think with McCaffrey on the field and the other weapons, there's going to be space. There's going to be space. Right? They, if, he, if Shanahan could just teach him to get down, I think that's the biggest thing. Mobile quarterbacks can survive if they play smart. It's when you run in to take those hits that you don't have to take. And in this offense, if he gets coached up properly, he shouldn't have to run to save the team. The run is an enhancement to the offense. As long mm-hmm. as Lance could buy into that, we we've seen. I mean, look, not nearly the same type of player, but the example is Russell Wilson. Remember how he would always run, and he had a great slide. He would just. I was a baseball player, obviously. Yeah, it's everyone's a baseball player. Yeah, exactly. But, Did you know why Fitzpatrick went to Harvard? That's it. Was the yeah. same type of deal. Everyone mentioned it all the time. Sorry, it's awesome. But yes, but that's the point. You know, if if the quarterback learns to slide, there aren't problems. Robert Griffin was a really slight dude. And he was not shying away from contact. That was always going to be foolish. Now, Trey Lance broke his ankle last year. That was a very weird injury, right? It doesn't happen real frequently. So we'll see how that shakes out. But look, if it doesn't work out, then they got Purdy. Yeah, exactly. Hear that, Arthur Blank? It's possible that you can have a mobile quarterback and still keep them healthy. Uh, shocker if you were allowed that to happen. We're, we're factoring in some NFC South nonsense, I guess, in that regard. Uh, last point I had, the Niners don't have a first-round pick or second-round pick as part of that Christian McCaffrey trade and trades they've made in the past in regards to the first-rounder. They do have three third-round picks and 11 picks total due to the compensatory format, which they have found a way, very smartly, I might add, to be able to consistently get more compensatory picks, uh, whether it be minority coaches or minority front office members, which has been a key piece of, I think, the reason why the 49ers have been so successful over the past few years. So three third-round picks. I joked in our outline that I don't think they could possibly devote all three to running backs. But I think at this point, given their need at uh, skilled position players and, frankly, other areas of depth, we mentioned all the different players that left and signed bigger deals this offseason – do you feel like they do draft a skill position guy? Is it a running back? Is it a receiver? Do they draft a uh, Rostowelli 2.0? They still have Rostowelli on the roster, which I was surprised with, but uh, maybe another tight end of that ilk. Like, I, I think it, I really don't see the 49ers investing that much offensively unless it's offensive line. It's exactly where I start my analysis is offensive line. They are in a championship window. And it could be a very narrow championship window. Christian McCaffrey doesn't have a lot of years left till the fall off comes. Brandon Ayuk, we know his contract's going to be up pretty soon. Can they afford to pay him? Uh, so issues all around. Well, the offensive line is a place they need to add help. The line was not very good last year. The scheme got them away with quite a bit. But that said, there were limitations because there were a lot of breakdowns. The interior line was a real problem. And we know Mike McGlinchey's got Now, McGlinchey's a better run blocker than a pass blocker, but the mm-hmm. 49ers are a run-based team that have pass concepts off of that. So I do believe offensive line is the critical component. And the secondary, look, I think they're, they're healthy at positions up and down the depth chart. So I think if they could get another edge presence, it would be a luxury. But, man, that would totally make them like an unstoppable defense. But it has to start and stop with the offensive line, Joe. Yeah, I don't know if you remember, um, there's a, a Lattimore. He was a running back from South Carolina from a while ago. He had, he had uh, six or seven years Marcus, ago at this point. Marcus Lattimore. Yeah, but I didn't, know if, I didn't know if I was doing the Saints cornerback, Marcus Lattimore, the same thing. But, yes, no, that's, that's Marshawn Lattimore. Marshawn Lattimore, the Saints, Thank Marcus you. Yes, Lattimore. Okay, good. So I, my brain was right. Thank goodness brain's still yes. there. Marcus Lattimore, the running back, um, he had torn his knee up at, like at the very end of the uh, – uh, bowl season and there was thoughts they wasn't going to play all that year the 49ers had drafted them, i want to say a third fourth fifth round somewhere in that range the idea was they're going to get a really good running back the year after when you have 11 compensatory picks or sorry 11 picks but a lot of them compensatory like the 49ers do and the lack uh, of dire need in any sort of spot given the relative uh lack of success the nfc projects to be this year i think you're going to see a lot of those types of players whatever that is for this draft really be focal points for the 49ers. We've seen them in the past be successful with that, or at least be open to that mindset. Not that they have to have guys that are going to just redshirt their, their their freshman year in the NFL per se, but I really think they have a lot of luxuries. And that's where I go with the pass rush. Like if you think about players that have been injured uh, or are entering the draft injured in some capacity, there's always somebody that seems to fall in that same range. And I think the, the Eagles linebacker from 
Nicobe Dean, I don't know he was really a pass rusher per se, but uh, widely projected to be a first-round pick, ended up falling mid-second round, could have been even went further. We've had that same thing with the Jalen Smith as well, too. With his, like, There's that kind of guy, and I think the 49ers could be really a, a good team to find that kind of guy if he makes it to the third round, again, with their three third-round picks. My last question, Jim, I know I already said that, so this is the last, last question. Where are you taking CMC this year? Like, where do you feel comfortable going after Christian McCaffrey? He'll have now a full season with the 49ers. Was actually healthy most of the season with the 49ers, which I think a lot of people have been concerned with that, oh, we've already ran out of the CMC luck if that's the case. But maybe things are different. Maybe uh, the injury trajectory gets wiped away after making a big deal and all the Jarek McKinnons, Raheem Mostert's the world, get reversed in, in some sort of weird osmosis deal. I'm not sure. But what's your thoughts on CMC and where are you, where are you fine getting him at this season? Well, the first thing that I noticed with Kyle Shanahan was that he understood how to use Christian McCaffrey. He didn't try to run in between the tackles a ton. There were times Mm -hmm. he ran there, and that was fine. But he used him much more as a receiver than a runner. When Elijah Mitchell was healthy, Mitchell was getting significant carries. And so Shanahan understands the way to keep McCaffrey healthy and to keep him explosive is to use him as a receiver and sprinkle him as a runner almost think where we could see him getting five to eight targets a game. And we also could see him getting seven to 10 carries a game. It may not be more than that, but the fantasy points are going to be there because we all understand how much more receiving points are worth than rushing points. Right. A, the reception counts in most league for point. Also you're created in a space. So your yardage is greater than your yards per carry is your yards per reception. So I do have Christian McCaffrey as the number two player on my board. I have Justin mm. Jefferson ahead of him. I just can't go away from, going from 1,400 to 1,600 to 1,800 yards, knowing that in the total worst-case scenario, what's his floor, right? At this point, is it 1,600 yards? Probably. So I can't go away from that. But after that, knowing Shanahan knows how to use him, and don't think that we saw anywhere close to the version of how he'll be used last year. He came in midseason. Shanahan's had a whole offseason to dream up ways to use Christian McCaffrey and to integrate him with the other great weapons they have. This offense is going to be way more creative than what we saw down the stretch, and that should scare NFL defenses. No, I, I agree with you completely. I'm not sure about number two, but this is like a philosophy thing where – I haven't even developed what my draft philosophy is going to be yet. And frankly, uh, other than us sickos that are actually in the industry itself, you shouldn't be developing your draft uh, philosophy in early or sorry, late March and early April. Like that's, there's just too much that's going to happen over the course of the next couple of months that it's, it's not, it's not a wise choice to make. But uh, I think with the invents of a lot of these wide receivers, especially younger guys kind of getting pushed up to that late end, late first, uh, early second range, and also some running backs too. Like the, we'll, we'll talk about it in one of these subsequent podcasts where, where the B. John Robinson and that kind of tier of running back is going to make a difference. You've been monitoring it on the early best balls. Mario Puig and John McKechnie have been doing that as well too on the Thursdays. And honestly, Alan Slavsky and the guys that do the dynasty stuff on Mondays also have a good read on what that early market is. It's just going to get being taken shape, I think, over the course of the next couple of months. And like you mentioned as well, too, with CMC, like the top two, just, just Jefferson that range. It's like, what, what do we do with X running backs? Like how many X running backs go in the first five picks, seven picks? Uh, definitely philosophy stuff that that we shouldn't discuss yet, but will likely get mentioned at some point uh, in the near future. So I want to talk about the Seahawks now. Of course, the uh, number seven seed Seahawks right made the playoffs thanks to the Packers' ineptitude in Lambeau in Week 18. Uh, the Seahawks have both the number five pick and the number 20 pick. And while there was the trend of where do we take CMC, I think that's kind of the trend overall of the NFC West Papa Cooper Cup as well too with the Rams, but the Seahawks have some of those guys too. So real quick with the rundown of their offseason, it was pretty light. They re-signed Geno Smith. They did get a big money deal with uh, interior defense lineman Draymond Jones. And I thought sneakily signed Jerron Reed, which was probably one of the biggest losses the Packers had this offseason. Another interior defensive line addition for the Seahawks. Got Devin Bush over the past two weeks. And then Bobby Wagner returns to Seattle uh, beefing up that linebacking group even more. They lost Rashad Penny to the Eagles, Travis Homer to the Bears. Marquise Goodwin was also gone. They released Al Woods. They released Shelby Harris, who I remember very vividly was discussed uh, highly in that trade with Russell Wilson 
Ah, yes, very, very good acquisition, really good inclusion in that deal. I'm sure Drew Locke in the same uh, same vein as well, too. And then Gabe Jackson, uh, guard as well, too, was released. So this is the, the Seahawks offense basically being run back, save for Marquise uh, Goodwin. I know that Rashad Penny, critical factor, we'll talk about him in a second as well, too, but there's the Kenneth Walker thing, you know, the, the, the Kenneth Walker part of this whole conundrum is also there, too. I think the Seahawks overachieved a little bit. I, I was uh, on many of the podcasts in the Rotowire Network saying I thought they're going to have one of the worst records in the league. I was very confident betting them uh, number one overall pick. I look very foolish. So Seahawks fans, you can certainly come at me. I completely understand. But there is a level to the talent that they have, especially with Geno Smith. What I think he is and what he proved last year is important. Can he do that consistently is the question that I might have. So what's your thoughts on the Seahawks offense and specifically Geno Smith and where you think he will be in year two as the starter for the Seahawks. You know, Joe, one line that I've lived by in my fantasy football life is never pay for the career year, especially when that career year is at age 31. I mean, think about that. Age 31 came out of nowhere. This is a guy who had 34 touchdowns in 45 career games in like, what, nine years? And he throws 30 last year. He had 3,000 yards, a little 46 yards more than that in his 2013 rookie year. And he comes with 42.82 last year. So, I mean, this was a guy that basically was a non-factor from 2013 through 2021, and boom. So I am a little nervous. And what really made me nervous more than that was the end of the season. Now, this mm. was a Geno Smith quarterback team. He had multiple touchdowns in 10 of 11 games from week three to week 14. In the last four games, three of those, exactly one touchdown. He had 215 or fewer yards in his last three games. The competition got a little tougher. The schedule tightened up a little bit, but also more film. You know, teams getting down the stretch. Some of these teams were playing for a playoff spot, may have looked a little more closely with game planning than some teams do during the regular season. But Geno Smith did not look great down the stretch. And we could talk some of that away. There was a bit of a weather game against Kansas City. So we can put a few factors in. But it was pretty consistent down the stretch. He wasn't very good. And so at that point now, we always say the league makes adjustments to players. Do you have a counterpunch? There will be a different plan in place for Geno Smith this year. I don't think he has a counterpunch. I think he'll be decent, but I don't think that he's going to have the level of success that he had last year. He does have DK Metcalf. Tyler Lockett's been phenomenal. At some point, he's got to start slowing down. He's in that age window where that could start now, but maybe not. But they have very thin weapons. They don't have depth. Receivers beyond the top two, nothing of note. Right. Kenneth Walker, we got DJ Dallas backing up, who's fine. He's a fine backup, but you wouldn't want to ride the team on DJ Dallas. So that said, I think Geno's okay, and he's fine as a quarterback, too, in these two quarterback leagues. But he's not going top eight again like he did last year. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you on that. And and I mentioned my uh, Seahawks uh, prognostication last year's folly in, in relation to the NFL, too. Not that NFL teams are ever taking others less seriously, but I, I do think there's a little bit of the case to be made. Okay, you know, this team is projected to be very good. They have Geno Smith as their quarterback. Okay, you know, like DK Metcalf's good and Lockett is. You can overlook teams, especially in the schedule. No one can overlook the Seahawks anymore, not after last season. And I think that was kind of what happened towards the end of the last campaign was that teams were not overlooking him. We were, we're competing for the playoffs. We're all fighting for this last spot. And, and it gets a little bit shorter. The, the margin of error gets shorter. Pete Carroll and the Seahawks already play in a small margin of error. That's how he wants to run his offense, right? It's run the ball, run the ball. We're going to find a good pass play out of this, make things work. But you are trying to deliberately take time off the clock and hopefully have your defense make just enough plays or have just enough right things go in your situation to win. It worked last season with Geno Smith as your quarterback. They're going to see if that's going to work for three more years because that's why they signed him to that big deal. Uh, I, I'm, I'm not optimistic, uh, and I will not be drafting Geno Smith among my top 15 quarterbacks despite how he did last year. Um, I do feel confident saying I'll be investing in DK Metcalf once again. That proved to be fine enough, I think, uh, as the third or fourth round price take that he went for. You mentioned Tyler Lockett, and I think that is a really interesting thing because they're, they're really – I don't know. You you are probably as in tuned to the fantasy uh, experts across the country as as anybody else is there. I, I feel like there is one group that loves Tyler Lockett and will think whatever his ADP is, 
is just astronomically wrong. And if you smash that Tyler Lockett button, he will be a guaranteed wide receiver. Three, two, one, doesn't matter. You will take him at any cost. And then there's everyone else, kind of like me, where it's like, yeah, no, I'm just, I'm just going to stay away. Somebody else can profit from Tyler Lockett. And they have the past two years. You know, that, that has been a win if you took Tyler Lockett. I don't want to do the Bill Belichick thing, or I guess other teams really. Bill Belichick comes to mind where I'm going to get rid of the player one year too soon. But now we're thinking of three years too soon on Tyler Lockett. He does have a play style. And I know you saw this video as well earlier this season too, where there are clips, there's a montage of Tyler Lockett literally falling down when he could have had five, 10 extra yards and he just gives his body up. Like he is playing to have the longevity of his career in mind. If this passing offense takes a step back and it's DK Metcalf that still continues to produce, which I think he will, by default, it has to be Tyler Lockett that takes a step back. And yet there are some people very adamantly will be like, no, no, there's no way that is going to happen. So where are you on the Tyler Lockett conundrum? I mean, he's going to be 31. And there is a very, very small number of receivers who are good at 31. And yet here's a guy between 1,033 and 1,175. That's a small range number in the last four years. So he's been right in that area between eight and 10 touchdowns in five straight years. His targets between 107 and 117. So these are very, very stable numbers. Now, the one thing I saw last year that made me wonder if he's starting to slide. Now, the production is there. 29th percentile yards after the catch. He normally had a guy that was significantly better than that. But that may have had to do with going from Russell Wilson to Geno Smith. You know, Gene Smith, maybe not putting the zip on the ball to lead him into traffic, leading him on those long catch and runs. Those weren't really, there's a different offense, Shane Waldron, a little more quick hitting. And so I do think though, and in a way you intimated this, Lockett has to get volume. They don't have anybody else. It's Metcalf and it's Lockett and teams are going to bracket Metcalf. So the read when Geno Smith sees traffic, it's going to be Tyler Lockett. So I do believe even if he has a drop-off, he has to have a significant floor because the targets have to go to him. They got Colby Parkinson who moved ahead of Noah Fantasy receiving in late in the season. I'm sorry. I'm not sold on Colby Parkinson for much of anything. And so Lockett has to get volume. Am I excited if I have to roster him? Upside's probably not there, but the floor is great. It depends where he goes in the draft. If I need a receiver, it's roughly the eighth round. I'll take him there. I can't go much higher than that because I want upside in the, you know, I want upside at some point, but if there's nothing else there, and I don't know, that's about the range he's going. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, round eight, right? That was kind of like the Christian Kirk, Alan Lazar, Drake London. By, by August, you know, by late August, that was round six. But when we're doing these conversations now, that was more or less that eighth round. And we saw Christian Kirk have a lot of upside. Drake London even, I think, uh, played above that level as well, too. Is Alan Lazar, that was a middling, at least, or a little bit disappointing. And even then, you're not, like, upset with his production. So Tyler Lock in the eighth round, that's your wide receiver three, possibly wide receiver four, depending on your putting together team and, or if it's a best ball, if it's a redraft, maybe it makes a difference too. Um, it's interesting. You had mentioned uh, Noah Fant getting replaced by Colby Parkinson. I mentioned Shelby Harris getting released uh, two parts of that Russell Wilson trade. And yet Seahawks fans are still ecstatic, A, because Russell Wilson looks so bad in Denver, but B, because they got the number five pick out of this. It's actually a weird spot, though, because you have all the quarterbacks projected to go in the first couple picks overall, and a lot of that value might be gone because those teams are going to pick them or – somebody's going to trade up for their guy, much like the Panthers did. So you leave the Seahawks with probably the best defensive player. And then at pick 20, it's like, okay, is, is I think Jackson Smith, who's the number one receiver right now, likely goes before then. Then you might have to make a reach on a Jordan Addison um, or as a Flowers at pick 20. It's, it's a little bit hard. It's a bad draft if you are in need of wide receiver help that is not upper echelon, but I'm sorry, that isn't upper echelon, but also not like middling tier two. There's not a lot of depth in that spot. And that's exactly the kind of team that needs receiving depth is the Seahawks right now, who, again, have D. Eskridge as the number three receiver. And uh, if you remember D. Eskridge at all, it's probably because a guy named Tutu Atwell was taken right before him. Both have not panned out very well for either of the mm-hmm. NCLS teams, respectively. I, I, I think the Seahawks will make a move. And because they will make a move, it'll be a high draft pick one. Um, and that might cut into Tyler Lockett's workload. So that that's my one caveat is – I'm comfortable with round eight right now, but in August or July, when we have a bit more firm understanding of 
how it could look like. Because you know Pete Carroll will never play a rookie right away. Uh, but it'll, it'll be like a Mike, uh, a Mike Zimmer thing. Like, oh, yeah, I'm going to have to at some point. It's DS Uh Then I might be a little bit more worried. Because by default, there's going to be one return on investment that happens. But something to consider. Real quick with Kenneth Walker. Because that's going to be actually probably most people's focal point with the Seahawks. Where are you seeing his ADP right now in best balls in, again, late March, early April? He is going in the middle of the second round of 12-team drafts. He's going between picks like 16 and 20, right around there 16, he's going. 20. Wow. So that, that's not that, not that B. John Robinson is that spot, but there's going to be a lot of hype about B. John Robinson wherever he goes, and whoever drafts him will likely operate with him as the number one back in his share time. Uh, you're going to have other other – younger receivers but also younger running backs rise up that level too do you think kenneth walker is is worth pick 16 to 20 like i I feel like the seahawks given how they use the running back position and how much they've invested in that in in past years they're going to take another guy pretty high or get a kareem hunt or somebody else like that who has uh veteran capabilities that can siphon off some carries you know, Kenneth Walker is one of those running backs who you don't diagnose run or pass if he's on the field. They use him as a receiver. He was 67th percentile yards after the catch. Now, in the running game, this was odd. 96 percentile broken tackle rate, but only 54th percentile yards after contact. He wasn't mm, doing these breaking Montgomery. Yes, not doing enough with it, but still was very, very good. And he had over 100 rushing yards in his last three games and in five of his last 10. They were riding him, and it was working. And so, Kenneth Walker, if you're at that point in the second round and you need a running back, he's in that group. He's going to get volume. And I get what you're saying, Joe. They may bring somebody else in, but they invested pretty heavily in him. And if they're going into this draft, Pete Carroll's going to be 72 years old this year. The team also realizes Lockett's getting old. Gino Smith is getting old for however long they have him. This is a team, if they want to compete, they have to compete now. So if they're going into this draft and they're drafting players to mix in at receiver, they've got to take their chances that the top guys don't get hurt. They've got to draft positions that are impact because they have to know they're not competing for a Super Bowl. They're competing for a playoff spot. But if they want to go compete for a Super Bowl in this small window they have, they can go edge. They can go cornerback. Now, I like you, I agree. They need a wide receiver. They also maybe need some offensive line interior help. They drafted the two tackles last year. They panned out well for them. But with Pete Carroll being older, I, the window's got to be small. So I think Kenneth Walker ends up, again, we don't know how health shakes out. But I think he has a significant role this year. Yeah, it almost sounds like you believe he's going to be one of the true bell cows in in fantasy today. I mean, like there aren't that many of them. Uh, that was the reason people drafted Najee Harris last year, just because close behind him, of course, Jalen Warren kind of came up towards the end that uh, ended like the training camp era, and then uh, proved to be pretty valuable, especially with Najee Harris not being healthy. But that's that, is that what you're thinking? Kind of like Kenneth Walker is one of the very few bell cows that is going to be left in today's NFL. So I do think DJ Dallas has a role in the passing game. He's seen between 19 and 23 targets, small number, but he's had Travis Homer there. They've had other backups with him in relation to their starters. So he's been in a somewhat crowded backfield and he's been a 56 percentile yard after the catch guy. He's decent at pass protection. So I think that Walker is going to get a large role. So I'm not backing off a lot of that. I don't think it's the old day Christian McCaffrey workload. But I do think he gets 270 carries, and I do think he catches 30 passes, 35 passes. And that. so as you're saying, that is bell cow status. That is, that's top eight usage at the position, but it's not going to be top three at the position, but he'll be in the top eight. DJ Dallas will take some passing down work, but I don't think they're going to get a runner to take that part away from him. And I do think they're going to trust him around the goal line as well. He is 211, yeah. but he's 5'9". The 5'9 helps with that. The BMI is a little more stout at that height. Now, if you're six foot two eleven, that's a problem. But that three inches of height, it's consequential. Austin Eckler and his agent definitely agree with you on that one as well, too. Yeah. Uh, we've spent so much time talking about the 49ers and Seahawks. I promise we'll get to the Rams and Cardinals and a little bit of the NFC West tour. But first, a word from our sponsors, Underdog, the 2022 NFL season is over. 
But fantasy football season never stops at Underdog Fantasy. It's the easiest place to play fantasy football. Right now, you can draft an Underdog's big board tournament with $1 million in total prizes and 200000 given to first place. Think you know which incoming rookies will burst onto the scene in 2023? Well, if so, now's your chance to draft them at value. All you have to do is join the big board Draft your fantasy team, and that's it. It's the best ball. In best ball, there's no waivers, no trades, and you get the best scores in your starting lineups each week of the season. And whoever has the highest score at the end of the season wins. Just head to underdogfantasy.com, the App Store, or Google Play Store. Sign up with promo code RWNFL, and not only will you get your first deposit doubled up to $100, but you also hook up. Uh, you also be hooked up with a six-month free subscription to everything RotoWire has to offer for free. Again, that's underdog uh, fantasy promo code RWNFL. Jim, we've talked a lot about the baseball guys. Their time in the sun is done. Baseball season starts tomorrow. I don't want to hear any more about promotion about the NFL. I'm sorry, the baseball stuff. What are we pushing now that we have the free six-month trial to run away giving out with this coat? Hey, I will tell you the truth with this. Even though baseball draft season will be over in 24 hours or less, probably 18 hours, but I'll tell you this. In-season coverage for baseball is massive because it's a long-season. Transactions are paramount. We have James Anderson. I, I hate to name names because we have so many, but the he's the prospect guy too. And we know their player is going to get called up during the season. We know that we have to have priority ads. We will really help you at Rotowire to get you set up for that in-season management. And then, Joe, that underdog that you just had the promo, that gets you into football season, gets you into draft season. At this point, six months gets you almost to October. And so yeah, we're talking about Thanksgiving games. You'll have to you'll have to get that one more uh, month extension to get the uh, the breakdown for just the Thanksgiving only pools. But then you're set. You're you're good to go. Yes. So it is a great offer. And if you already have Underdog and you can't utilize this, then just get a short term trial. Go to roadwire.com/pod if you're watching us. You can see that at the screen below, and that works well. Also, this is on a side note on Twitter. Between now and draft day, what I'm doing each day is I'm posting a thread, one for each team. I'm kind of breaking down the state of each position on the team, and then I'm going through the, the what I feel are in order the biggest draft needs. Now, I'll start getting closer to the draft, giving you some player matches, but right now, if you want to kind of look over your teams, I have Arizona posted and I have Atlanta posted. It's at Jim Coventry NFL on Twitter. Um, I'll pin the new one up on the top of the, the page each day, but check those out. And I'll definitely give Rotowire a follow and give bookies.com a follow. Yes. And one more, Joe. We've got bookies, we've got, and gambling.com. Yeah, yeah, that's it. I was going to say, uh, Joe Bartle, JB Fancy Sports, you can you can give me a follow on Twitter too if you want as well. But no, the, the, at Jim Coventry would probably be more ideal to see those threads. And if you want to hear an audio version of those illustrious breakdowns, that's going to be foreshadowing. Probably the uh, next podcast after the NFC East, as we gear up for the NFL draft, you can bet there's going to be a lot of coverage uh, across the world platform, whether it be Alan and his dynasty coverage or Mario and John, who do such a great job of breaking down those individual prospects. I know Jim and I are going to have something cooking as well, too, as we get closer to that late April draft date as well. So, again, just for the underdog crew, uh, RWNFL, that six-month free trial and double up to $100. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. 
After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Dive back in to the NFC West and specifically the Rams. When I was doing uh, the the preview for this, or I guess like the rundown, Jim, I was still lamenting over my Packers and how bad of an offseason it was, and it was. But I really started to feel better as I started to check off all the names the Rams have lost. And, and just just so you could be uh, immersed in this process as well, too. Sean Robinson, who hasn't technically signed yet with anybody. Greg Gaines signed with the Buccaneers. Taylor Rapp, I know he wasn't a great safety, but he was a starting safety. He's gone. Baker Mayfield. You can say the same thing about the quarterback position, but it's still a guy that helped win a few games from the end of the season. Matt Gay signed that massive deal with the Colts. Nick Scott gone. David Long gone. Jalen Ramsey traded. They released Leonard Floyd. They signed, or they released Bobby Wagner, who, of course, signs with the division rival Seahawks. Oh, okay. Uh, so a lot of big names, but at least they've won in and got people, right? Uh, no, I, I might be wrong in this, Jim. Frankly, I, I almost feel like I have to be. The only name that I could find that they actually have acquired of, of literal substance to mention was Hunter Long, that guy that was absolutely just tossed in randomly uh, in that trade with Jalen Ramsey for no other reason than I think uh, they wanted to pretend like they got something of value. So th- that is the the Rams' loan acquisition this offseason's Hunter Long amongst that list of long, lengthy people lost. And it's still not quite added to yet because Al Robinson has been able to be looking for a trade. I would have to imagine they're going to cut him eventually, given what the Rams seem to be intending to do. I'm going to give you the biggest layup I have ever seen in my gambling life. And it's been a very short gambling life, Jim. You probably had a longer one than me. There right now is a prop bet. I guess not prop bet, but over under seven and a half wins for the Rams this year. Under seven and a half is plus money. Under seven and a half is plus 100. Looking at the people they lost, and again, I know Taylor Rapp and Baker Mayfield aren't that good of players. This is a clear direction that they don't want to win games. I mean, I would be surprised if Aaron Donald walked into training camp in early August and said, uh, you're my teammate. No, I'm good. I'm a Hall of Famer already. I'm just going to take the year off. You can maybe trade me if you want to. I got my money locked in. I mean, this is this is absurd that the, this is a team who just a year ago won the Super Bowl is now doing this kind of sell-off and spin-off. I'm shocked uh, at the talent loss and lack of acquisition that the Rams have done this year. Do you feel like they're going to do a lot of bargain bin shopping in the later stages of free agency, or is this kind of it? Is, is this what we're expecting of the Rams this season? I mean, the bargain bin's kind of done already. There is so little left in free agency. There aren't answers. This is a team. And, and when I was going through setting up all these team positional breakdowns, their defense, literally, they got Aaron Donald. Ernest Jones is a good run defender, and that's it. Literally, they Kobe Durant was decent at coverage. Give him that. Other than that, this is there's nothing. Their defensive line. Tell me you heard of these guys, Jonah Williams and Bobby Brown. Don't be cruel. You're too young to know that's a song. Bobby <laughs> Brown needs to sing that. Uh, linebackers, Kier Thomas, Christian Roseboom, Michael Hoke, and they didn't look good last year. They looked average at best. Uh, cornerbacks, we got Robert Rochelle, terrible. Darian Kendrick was terrible. Um, Russ Yeast at safety. He could run defense. He's fine. Can't cover pass. Jordan Fuller, same deal. One of them's going to have to be in coverage. I don't know how this defense stops anybody. Aaron Donald cannot do it on his own. He has no help. He may see triple teams this year. I, I, I'm I'm literally shocked. I mean, like again, over under seven and a half wins. It's one of those lines that I'm like, okay, so Vegas clearly knows something. And, I, and then I'm like, what could Vegas possibly know? The Rams don't have a first round pick. They don't have enough act, like draft capital to really substantially get this. Even if they get people right, again, this is the team and organization that drafted Tutu Atwell in the second round. I mean, like, and Van Jefferson for that matter too. I I, I have no faith that Les Snead and company really know how to fill all these holes, but I don't think they have any desire to. I mean, like, this is almost as obvious of a tank for a Caleb Williams or whoever you want to be quarterback next draft season that I can recall. And it's shocking that it's in direct contrast to a team that won the Super Bowl 
just a year ago. So you have Matthew Stafford, you have Aaron Donald, and you have Cooper Cup. And uh, again, Al Robinson allowed to be looking for a trade. I doubt that happens. So he'll probably have to get cut. Maybe that's the the one area the Ravens can finally dive into a wide receiver. They won't give a compensatory pick. Uh, or the Packers, right? That's the same type of deal. They, they don't want actually good receivers, just guys that are already done with their careers. Um, I, I don't think the Rams trade Matthew Stafford. I'd be pretty shocked if they're able to get a huge right. draft haul given his injury history uh, and his contract as well, too. That feels like a, a very difficult sell. So you have those three pillars and then nothing else. I mean, uh, say what you want about Cam Akers from a fantasy perspective. He's not making a difference in the win-loss record. I, I have a I have a real reservation about this offense and defense, like you mentioned, too. The, the when it comes down to it, then where are you drafting Cooper Cup? Like I, I like Cooper Cup. Obviously, he's going to be a factor so long as he's healthy. I and and you can't project injuries, obviously, but I just I don't I don't know how long any of these star guys really play when it seems like the obvious conclusion this season is the Rams don't care about this season. So why should their star players? Well, the offense was already on a horrible downward spiral last year, yet Cooper Cup put up 100 yards in five of like nine games, at least 79 yards in every game but one before he got hurt. So he was literally continuing to carry the offense. And Jim, I'm going to jump in real quick because my my uh, uh, boy, my computer is going to die soon, so I'm going to go charge that. But while you're describing this, I also want to just dive into like we talked about Geno Smith not being uh, something you're drafting really high. Is, is Matthew Staff in that same range? So just, just dive into that. I'll mute myself as I figure that out. But I, I'm curious if you can explain that to the, the listening audience. Yeah, Matthew Stafford is in a bad situation. Now, the one thing that may work to his favor, the offensive line was really injured last year. They had a lot of people miss a lot of games. And they have players with capability. Rob Havenstein, when he's playing well, is good as both a pass protector and a run blocker. Joe Nopu, we've seen him have differing levels of success. Coleman Shelton as a pass protector, not a run blocker, did reasonably well. So there are pieces where their line can be competent. And at that point, it's Cooper Cup, and there's not a lot else. We're not expecting much from Van Jefferson. Now, if they get some protection, he can get some downfield looks. If Allen Robinson is forced to stay there, and last year, the talk was about using him in the slot often because Cooper Cup can line up anywhere. They never used Allen Robinson correctly. They had him lined up as an X receiver and there was no protection. Stafford had no time to throw and therefore nothing was ever going to work out. Now Robinson's lost a step. I'm totally not going to argue that, but he could have been put in a different position where they could have utilized him better and helped Matthew Stafford. That said, in the best case scenario, Matthew Stafford is finishing as quarterback 17 or 18. With the defense being likely so bad, teams are going to dominate time of possession on them. So that's going to shorten the game, shorten possessions. And it's also going to create urgency when the Rams have the ball. And that's not a good thing because they don't have enough weapons to be able to play in that manner. And if they have to become pass heavy because of game script, that's not going to work. They need to have the guys of balance to make it work for them. So Matthew Stafford is going to be outside the top 15 quarterbacks. Would you take Gino over Matthew or like just kind of staying away from both? Well, I would take Gino Smith over Matthew Stafford. His protection is going to be better. He has the two weapons together are better than just Cooper Cup for Matthew Stafford. That he has versatility and it's going to help. And, and the threat of a good run game, um, not, you know, move away from Cam Akers. But I think overall, the Seahawks are in a healthier spot. And I think Matthew Stafford is going to have a number of zero touchdown games. And that's the problem. Geno Smith should get at least one touchdown in most games. And I think that's how I rate him a bit higher. Yeah, you've had success with this quite a bit. Cause I, you know, I follow you on Twitter a lot. Um, you're my co-host. I should, but I, I literally have done this before as well, too. But the you do the 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 game prop bets obviously, but also really a, a part that you've been successful in is the beginning season prop bets. And I think for me, at least from a target perspective, I'm either looking for ones that are just categorically wrong. And I'm thinking like we thought Christian Kirk's volume stuff last year that was just wrong, and we were all just memeing him on his contract. When in reality, he was going to get a lot of workload by default. He was going to do well. Uh, there, the other one I target is players that are often injured 
already in bad situations. And and DraftKings or FanDuel or anyone else will price these in. Like they, they'll make sure it's a low figure, but it's even not low enough given those circumstances. I will take every under there is in the book for Matthew Stafford, especially with his Rams tenure, provided he stays with them for however long. I, I just don't see a way in which, A, he stays healthy this season, uh, given the health issues that he's had thus far, but also, B, has enough uh, things able to be able to put together production. You know, under touchdowns, under passing yards. Um, again, I'll take the under on these seven-and-a-half wins right now that DraftKings is so graciously giving us. I am shocked at the level of talent that the Rams currently have. Uh, given the LA market, you'd think they'd be very easily to swayed some free agents, even like the lesser ones. Again, the, the Emmanuel Moses, the one is not lesser. He's a good cornerback signed for one year, 6 million. You're telling me that Rams couldn't do that across the board defensively. It's a choice that they are making right now with the guys they have. And I I'm quite frankly shocked. The only other question, Jim, I wanted to say was, was Cooper cups value. So we, we have all this negative conversation with the Rams don't have a lot of confidence in their offense, certainly don't have a lot of confidence in their defense. But because we don't have confidence in their defense, does that make Cooper Cup just a bit more valuable in your in your mind and scale? I mean, how does he not catch 125 to 140 passes? How does he not? And look, he got hurt last year, but he hasn't been a big injury risk for the majority of his career. Early on, he had a little bit of missed time. He's age 30, so he's I think he's still got another year in the tank. And I think that he's going to see so many looks and he's uncoverable. Doesn't matter what you do. He runs those right. choice routes. So basically once he runs a choice route, he and Stafford are on the same page. The ball is out before cut makes his break. They read the leverage of the defenders. So he's going to get his catches and he was still in the 79th percentile in yardage after the catch last year. So he's able to create in the play calling with McVay leads cup into space. They just have so many ways to use him and he can handle that. And he will. So I have him firmly high in my first. I have him as my fourth pick overall uh, because his floor is so amazingly high. Jamar Chase, you know, great. He didn't have the ceiling games this year. His floor is nowhere near Cooper Cups on a weekly basis. When you're seeing 10, 12 catches a lot of weeks, that floor is insane. I think I'll bet the under on Cups stuff as well, too, in the same vein that I would Stafford uh, and the same purpose that I just don't know if you're getting a full season of it again, if you're saying just like the Rams did this year, could Stafford maybe come back? I, I don't know. I, I don't think so, but you could bet that he definitely wasn't going to come back past four, uh, past week 14 when they were already out of the playoff contention anyway. And I think that happens earlier this season too. So just something to keep in mind when you start seeing those prop bets come out. And again, we're, we're months away from that really happening. There is um, there is value to be had in certain facets in certain ways you're targeting. I think Matthew Stafford's unders, Definitely interesting. I could not find any of the over-under win totals on FanDuel. The under seven and a half wins for the Rams was specifically on DraftKings. I don't know. We'll see if they're listening to us. Uh, and that's gone in a week or two. We'll have to see. Uh, but I, I, I will be happy to take the plus 100 odd right now Agreed. under seven and a half wins. Let's talk about the Cardinals real quick who sit with the worst record in the NFC West. The number three overall pick in a situation where uh, only one of the top four teams that doesn't need a quarterback it's a good spot. Everything else, not so much. Kyler Murray, likely not going to be ready for the start of the season. I mean, it's tough. The ACL tears, they can be really fixed uh, easily now. It's not a career-ending injury like it was 20 years ago, but it isn't even a season-ending injury now. Uh, like Adrian Peterson proved that to be a fact a number of years ago. I don't know if they risk Kyler Murray to start the season because he is their future. Whether he should be or not is not the question we need to debate. It is that he is their future. Uh, Cliff Kingsbury now gone. Uh, that power struggle has been won, it seems like, with Kyler Murray. The Card Cardinals have at least made some moves. They re-signed Will Hernandez, their guard, Matt Prater, their kicker. They signed Zach Pascal as that blocking receiver specialist with the Eagles and Colts. Uh, LJ Collier, Chris Barnes, and Kaiser White, two linebacker additions. Good thing they drafted first-round running backs – or, sorry, first-round linebackers in back-to-back -back years in Isaiah Simmons and Zane Collins. Uh, I don't know what the Cardinals – Office front office is doing, but it's fine. I mean, there's a lot of upheaval, and I think there's a lot of change overall with the Cardinals, which has to be good because I don't think they're going in a good direction anyway. So uh, this might be a, a, a negative as a positive type of deal. So no Kyler Murray, um, no Cliff Kingsbury, and yet I have zero optimism overall for this offense and for this team. DeAndre Hopkins, I really do think will get traded. I don't know what the, like, the comp will be for it, but I don't see him on this Cardinals team no. that expects to be floundering starting next year, given his age. I think he's going to be gone somewhere. So no Kyler Murray, no DeAndre Hopkins. James Conner is fine, but, you know, he's really making a difference. This could be a pretty bad team to start next season as well, right? 
they're they're in a lot of trouble. And they bring in Jonathan Gannon as their head coach, defensive-minded coach. It's probably not what they need right now. Um, and then he hires Drew Petzing as his offensive coordinator. He was the Cleveland Browns quarterbacks coach after being the tight ends coach. So there's not even a pedigree here. Gannon worked with Petzing back in the, with the Vikings in 2014 and 2017. But again, he was a positional coach and a defensive assistant. So I don't understand what the vision here is. I know Cliff Kingsbury was a horrible offensive coach. I don't think it's any better with Drew Petzing <laughs> oh, no. in here. And, and that's a problem. I mean, you think you, all the opportunities to bring people in that have good coaching offensive pedigrees and, and, and they, they they do this? That's a total Arizona Cardinals move. No offense to the fans. Love them, but it's just a bad hire in my opinion. Now, you mentioned Kyler Murray. Even if he is ready early, his mobility is probably not going to be close, and that's kind of what makes him what he is. And then once you get DeAndre Hopkins, and he's out. I mean, there's no question. They're just trying to find the right terms. He's gone. There's 100%. He is not going to be there. Their receiver room, you got Marquise Brown at 5'9", a buck 70. Ron Mail Moore at 5'7", a buck 80. You got Zach Paschal, and you got Greg Dortch, who is a kick returner but can sub in. This might be the smallest group of receivers yeah. that we've seen other than the high school team. Isaiah Oliver is dwarfing these people, right? Yes, yes. <laughs> and he plays them twice a year. So he's going to be towering. He's no, the 49ers like, really big. There's a long game signing. That's what they got, Isaiah Oliver. <laughs> so, yeah, they're in trouble. Now, James Conner, look, I want to take my hat off to James Conner. Yes, he misses sometimes. It's usually between two and four games a season. All running backs pretty much miss some time. That's not crazy. He still had a 73rd percentile broken tackle rate, 72nd yards after contact. And in the receiving game, he was 65th percentile yards after catch. He, despite terrible blocking, found a way once healthy to get it done down the stretch. He was a beast for them down the stretch. And he'll be 28 this season. I think he still has another year of production. He's going to get the volume. Keontae Ingram was terrible. And they really, and Corey Clement is on the roster right now. So, Connor is going to get work. He's going to see a ton of screen passes probably. So, but you're, but what you're saying, this offense is in big trouble. If they're averaging 17 points a game, that's probably the high end. All right. You ready for this? Is James Connor last year's Ezekiel Elliott? If you remember, Ezekiel Elliott was the, the patented veteran running back in the sixth round. He's going to get a, a guaranteed amount of work and therefore you want to take him. Certainly going to be, a red zone vulture. He's been so good in his entire career for it. These are all the same things we say about James Conner too, although not blessed with as good of an offense as uh, Dak Prescott and CeeDee Lamb and such. Is is that James Conner's level? Is that the sixth round ADP uh, running back two that you feel fine with because you missed out on your other guys, your top targets, and you're like, all right, yeah, this will work? Or do you say, no, he'll produce even more at a consistent level that I think he will maintain and be above that value? I mean, the workload he's going to have to get, and the, the screens are going to have to be there because the quarterback's going to be under siege. So using him in the screen game, those are free points. See, the thing with Ezekiel Elliott was Tony Pollard was lurking, and everybody knew Tony Pollard was a better running back than Zeke Elliott. So there was always going to be like a pretty close to even split, if not worse. But not for James Conner. Keontae Ingram like literally was awful. And whoever they're going to draft, if they're going to draft a fourth round back or something like that, probably doesn't compete there. So I just think he's going to miss his three or four games. Just be ready for that. Make sure you have depth and be ready to withstand that storm. But he again has to have a floor. And he showed last year that broken tackle rate was high and the yards after contact was still high. So he didn't show any diminishing of his skills. Zeke Elliott, on the other hand, we saw some of those peripheral numbers dropping. Mm -hmm. So we kind of knew that he was aging. We just thought because of the system, he would be able to continue to overcome. But when those trending numbers are going down, they don't trend backwards, you know, but, but Connor is still solid in those numbers. Yeah, I guess the final point I'd make with the Cardinals as we're pushing close to the break here is um, I, I think there's a value point, especially in late August drafts, if we get more final information regarding Kyler Murray's status. Because I, I don't think Kyler Murray plays to start the year, but there might be a point where he gets in, let's just say, week three, week four, and that will raise the value of the Marquise Browns or even the Zach Ertz's of the world, uh, Trey McBride, if you really are a believer of him last year, too. Uh, those those intermediate targets that that can be good after the catch, but give you some solid floor production wise. 
and they will get depreciated as the August drafts go on. And even right now, you know, it, it's possible that could be happening too in best ball Florence as we're all overlooking the Cardinals and they don't look very promising at the moment. It's just something to keep in mind. But you, you also wanted to say something about Zach Ertz too, which yeah. I want to give you the floor. Look, I love Zach Ertz and, and I drafted him last year and he, well, he was healthy. He helped my teams greatly. Don't draft Zach Ertz this year. He's coming off an ACL and it was a, you know, last seven games of the season. So it wasn't like early in the year. He was only fifth percentile yards after the catch. He has, he's a catch and fall guy right now. Basically he had some red zone catches, scored some touchdowns. It really helped him. He only had two games over 50 yards. Uh, he was just basically out of necessity. Remember DeAndre Hopkins was suspended those first six mm -hmm. games. He yep. was their possession receiver. Age 32, and his numbers have been trending down coming off the ACL. I just don't think Zach Ertz has anything left in the tank. And I hate, hate, hate saying that because I love Zach Ertz. I think he's done. Well, that's entirely possible. And, again, they have Trey McBride, who they drafted in the second round, was widely regarded as the number one tight end prospect entering last year. But this is a new general manager regime. And we've seen, you know, different regimes like different players. And not that they're liking Zach Ertz more, but I'm saying maybe they don't like Trey McBride as much or have as much to prove with Trey McBride. So it's, it's something to keep in mind. I, I Lack of optimism. I like Marquise Brown enough. And while the small stature is there, if you have no DeAndre Hopkins, somebody in today's NFL gets the same, gets a lot of catches. It's the same reason Amari Cooper was successful. Same reason Drake London was successful. Same reason uh, that we had, uh, DK Metcalf as well too. I mean, that, that was my whole theory last year was I'm going to take the good receivers on bad teams and it'll work. You know, that might be the Cardinals this season. Uh, we already know it's going to be the Rams, right? And Cooper Cup, that's just by default, but maybe the Cardinals kind of fit that bill too. So that does it for us on the NFC West conversation. Up next week is the NFC East. Talking about those Eagles, talking about the Giants, Cowboys, Commanders as well too. And there's Sam Howell possible starting. A lot of interesting discussion to happen. Hopefully I'll be back in the office as well too which will be exciting. Uh, well, that does it for us again. Brought to you by Underdog Fantasy. And again, thanks, everyone, for listening. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.